If I were to ask you to name 10 movies as quickly as you can, how long would it take you? What if I asked you to name 10 sports teams or 10 musicians or songs? Now, what if I asked you to name the 10 commandments? Could you do it? A few years ago, I remember reading about a group of senators who sponsored a bill to protect the display of the Ten Commandments on public property because they felt the Ten Commandments were foundational to moral living. However, when asked by a reporter to name the Ten Commandments, only one of the senators could. A congressman sponsoring a similar proposal in another state could only name three of the Ten Commandments. In fact, in one poll, less than 10% of Americans could name more than four of the Ten Commandments. And some of the things people named weren't commandments at all. For example, 23% of Americans thought the second commandment gave us the right to keep and bear arms. And 31% said the ninth commandment prohibited the removal of Ten Commandments displays. In this episode, we study Exodus 18 through 20 and look not just at the Ten Commandments, but why those commandments are worth thinking about in the first place and how they can help us improve our relationship with God. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey there, welcome to this week's episode. We are studying in Exodus chapters 18 through 20, and we are recording this before Easter. You're going to listen to this maybe after Easter. I think so. We're getting confused on the timing We're all, and the dates. I was thinking, for me, it's kind of like daylight savings, saving, savings time, however you're supposed to say that, um, where I'm always confused. It doesn't matter how many times I've explained it to myself. Like, which way you go back, and does it give me more time or less time? Well, because we record an episode before the week starts. We're also looking ahead at the week after that, and then we're studying the current week with our kids and our family. So at any given time, we're looking at three different weeks of Come Follow Me, so it's hard to keep them straight. And so the reason that this week is extra confusing for us is because we had the week off with Easter, um, we did take an, a week off. If you notice, we didn't have an episode. That is why. Um, so we're wishing you a happy Easter. Hope that you have or hope you had a great Easter. Um, and we're back at it again, studying in Exodus 18 through 20 this week. If we were doing a, a video recording of our of our recording right now, we both have a bowl of kinetic sand in front of us that we'll be uh, playing with throughout the episode. I have them just here in my office. and One yeah. of the many reasons we don't do a YouTube channel <laughs> video would not be good for us. Here, let us... Actually, we could start a Kinetic Sand a kinetic YouTube sand. channel. It would be very satisfying. They totally need people that. Would, people would like it, I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, I'm excited for this week. This is one of my favorite blocks of Scripture, uh, not only because it features the Ten Commandments, but I think the way that it uh, phrases or sets up the Ten Commandments uh, is really powerful. And so to dive right in, in chapter 19, um, chapter 18 is wonderful. It's a little bit separate. This is uh, Jethro giving his advice to Moses. I think it's a great follow-up to our study last week about sustaining prophets. Here is someone that uh, 
that recognizes that a prophet needs assistance, needs sustaining. And so his counsel to Moses is to seek out those that can sustain and help him, which I think is just a beautiful uh, message for us as we reflect on general conference. But diving into chapter 19, uh, Israel is now in the wilderness and they are past Egypt and they will spend the next 40 years in and around this wilderness. And so this is the beginning of what will take place for the rest of Exodus, the whole book of Numbers and like halfway into the book of Leviticus all takes place in this wilderness of Sinai area. And, uh, and so as we dive into chapter 19, there's a really important frame for what's going to happen, not just in the next couple of chapters, but really over the next 40 years. Starting in verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain. That image is deliberate. You have Moses, who represents the Israelites, coming up to God, and then you have the Lord coming down to his people. And what will take place over the next, again, couple of chapters and 40 years is uh, the Lord coming down and condescending to his people to be involved in their daily lives. And the people, through that ministry from him, elevating, and it'll take them a while to do it, but elevating themselves to a place where they can be at one and connected with their God. And so the Lord says to him in verse 4, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. That's the past. I have done miraculous things to get you to this place where now this can happen. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. I think that's an important place to start our study of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, uh, or the Decalogue as they're referred to in a lot of other places, the Ten Words, are central to, uh, to major world religions today. It is, of course, a central figure of Judaism. It's a central figure of Christianity but I think it's important to remember these weren't just things that God said we need to do. They're not just a, a foundation for happy social living or a peaceful world or even uh, worship of God. It is a way for God to help us develop a relationship with him. And because of that relationship, it develop into people that are like him. Again, that verse 5, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar, President Nelson has helped us understand that peculiar means a special possession, a sacred special possession, often purchased through an, an incredible price. So we are the Lord's peculiar treasure. And if we obey his commandments, which he will now outline, uh, we can develop a special uh, relationship with him that we haven't previously had. I really like this thought in conjunction with obedience or the Ten Commandments, as we're going to talk about specifically, um, because I think that's ultimately what the goal is. It's not that we're following exactly, 
you know, we're making sure that we're doing everything perfect because this and this is going to happen when I do this exact thing. But it really is more of a coming to know God more and coming to understand him better, which I think is exactly what um, that peculiar or that possession represents for us is that we are coming to know this God in more exciting, more enhancing ways. More intimate ways. What we, what we, for the Israelites, what we've known about him up to this point is that this is the God that does incredible miracles that brings Egypt to their knees. And of course, he is that God, but he's also a God that is intimately interested in our own development and growth. And that's the God that Israel hasn't yet been able to meet and get to know. But through these commandments and the covenants that come with them, they will. And it's similar to our own journey, right? When we're children, uh, we hear the stories of God, the miracles, and we highlight those. And they're wonderful. But as we develop as adults, we start to understand that our relationship with God isn't just about miracles. Uh, it's about um, a a relationship, a familial relationship with heavenly parents that helps us to develop into the people that uh, that we can become. So, Which all of this really leads to the point of our study today and what we want to talk about is the question of how does obedience to specific commandments enha- enhance our relationship with God? Um, we can even ask that in a really uh, singular way. What commandment can I obey that would best enhance my relationship with God? I think that's a powerful question to take into our study this week. It is. And I just have to add that for me, as this question kind of came to fruition as we were studying, I think this resonated with me because that is ultimately the way that I see obedience to mean. It's us coming to understand. And I love that word, Zach, I'll give you credit for it because you thought of it, but enhance. How does that enhance our relationship? Some of the other words we thought of were, how does it increase or improve our relationship with him? It's not that we're here to give it this exactness, this 100%, I have to do it like this because I need to get this specific thing from God, but it really is this idea of coming to know him better and allowing him to know us better. Yeah, yeah. So as you're studying this week, great question to ask yourself as you're looking at the commandments to ask, what commandment could I give a little bit more attention to, a little bit more obedience to that would best help me enhance my relationship with God, would best help me become a more special, peculiar uh, person in in the image, uh, in his image. What we want to do in this episode is look at a couple of potential starting places. We each thought of a couple of commandments that uh, we could see how obedience to that commandment would specifically and particularly help us develop uh, in our relationship with God. So just as a couple of places you might start, the ones that you look at might be different. You might start with these and personalize them. Um, but that's what we're going to do over the next couple of minutes. And I'll start us off uh, because one, uh, the commandment I want to look at is actually what I call the other first commandment. Uh, the Ten Commandments are, as I said, foundational to uh, major world religions, but they're not always listed the same for all world religions. Catholicism, Protestantism, and Judaism all list the Ten Commandments as fundamental, but they actually number them differently. 
uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we follow a Protestant model of listing the Ten Commandments that starts with, um, first, have no other gods before me, second, make no graven images, uh, three, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain, etc. Catholicism adjusts those just a little bit. Um, In Judaism, it was interesting to me that they actually begin with the first commandment being in verse 2, not verse 3. Verse 2, the Lord says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Uh, In other words, the first commandment is that we are to remember that the Lord is the one that brought us, or the Israelites, brought us out of Egypt and out of bondage. I think that's a beautiful idea that either a first commandment or foundational to all commandments is remembering and specifically remembering the Lord's hand in our own deliverance and in our own life. Isn't that interesting, too, to think of that as one of our central ordinances that we participate in each week is in the sacrament where we're asked to remember him. Mm -hmm. I really like that idea. Well, and I think based on what we studied last week, uh, this came up. It's it's easy in the world that we live in to discount God, to look at the good things that we receive in our life and attribute them to coincidence or to our own ingenuity or success. Uh, and so it takes a focused attention to actually see the hand of God in what's happening to our lives. And I've had experiences, you know, we've talked about a couple of them. I know that uh, you that are listening, you've had experiences too, where you were, had something happened and you were clear that it came from a divine source. Remembering those experiences and then actively looking for other experiences, I think has a dramatic impact on our relationship with God. And isn't that what the scriptures are all about in the stories is remember these stories of God at work amongst his people. Yeah, yeah. A way, another way for us to remember. The next one that stuck out to me in answer to this this question of how do these things enhance our relationship with God is the, well, I'll just say verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, I think this one is important and I was taken actually to some study in some footnotes in my scriptures that um, were really helpful, and they they took it to this broader perspective of these familial relationships generally that can help and strengthen us and kind of give us a practice ground for for life and living and understanding and forgiveness and being forgiven and humility and all of those things that it means to be a child, to be a parent yourself, um, to be a sibling or just the family relationships that we have, I think are a training ground for all of those things. We're connected to these people. We love them. It's hard to be with them sometimes. It's where you're so close that you can't help but have strife occasionally in those close relationships. Um, Never between me and Zach, of course, (laughs) that I get any of that sort of practice. (laughs) But but I just, I guess for me, that was what came to mind was what a practice ground that gives us. And I mentioned a couple episodes ago of just that forgiveness and the ways that we can really see God's power manifest in our lives, I think is in those close relationships because he is invested in us um, 
staying with our family and being with them and understanding them even when it's hard. Yeah, Elder Maxwell once called us, uh, said that we are each other's clinical material that we're put in these family situations because where else do you become comfortable enough with someone to really be completely yourself and then to have parts of yourself great on someone else so that you now have to change and, and alter and practice growth, but also practice forgiveness and listening and charity and compassion. We can practice those with others outside of our family, but they don't know us quite as well as those that are inside our family do. So I, I love the perspective of honoring those that are uh, that we're connected to and, and building a relationship with them as a way to help us practice becoming more like God. And something that this originally meant when it was, the commandment was first given was more of a caretaking role, yeah, yeah. where it was ask that they make sure to take care of their parents in old age. And I think that's another element of it. I think so much of who we become and who we are is we learn as we learn to care, care for and love love others. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking a lot about this. We just had our birthdays recently. Both Chris and I have birthdays two days apart, so it's always kind of fun. And uh, our parents are just wonderfully kind and you know they send us birthday cards and and uh, and gifts and are, are really nice and so I've been thinking a lot about them over the past couple of days parents and grandparents and those that have played a role in our life and I was looking at that word honor and uh, you're right that the connotation of the word means to both to give proper respect to but also to take care of and um, it's it's an interesting relationship uh, that we have with our parents where they take care of us as we are growing and learning. And then there's a reciprocal. Uh, we, we then reach a stage where we're peers with our parents to some degree, of course, and then uh, we have the responsibility to take care of, to love and to serve our parents. And I just, I think the that circle of life, if you will, is really beautiful and very divine. Um, we have a heavenly father that takes care of us and is helping us to grow so that we can become like him and us practicing those um, caretaking skills in a family, I think, is fundamental to us developing those capacities. Well, and another interesting part of this verse or this commandment is that it's the only one with a promise attached to it that says, so that you may have a long life in the land that your Lord God is giving you. And reading from some footnotes in my scriptures, it says, The promise is not an automatic reward of long life for the individual, but a testimony to the overall stability of homes, of extended families, and of a society built on a culture of respect for God's principles, which includes how children relate to their parents. I just think that's, as we've already belabored enough, but the beautiful training ground that family life provides for us. Well, the second one that I looked at was connected to that one. It deals similarly with respect and honor, this time, though, for God and his name. Uh, verse 7 in chapter 20, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Uh, now, I know that this often has been expanded to be kind of a prohibition against swearing, uh, which we shouldn't swear. That's a good thing to not do. But the original intent of this commandment was that we don't invoke the name of God when we're making, uh, when we're in any kind of uh, oath-making, deal-making um, to use God's 
immortal and immutable name in a mortal sphere is to dishonor God. Uh, one commentator put it this way, and I really liked it. It said, uh, he said, this is a warning to Israel against using the Lord's name disconnected from his person, his presence, and his power. This is not at all that different from what President Nelson has been challenging us to do since he has uh, began his service as president of the church. Uh, the the emphasis on the name of the church, the church of Jesus Christ, and then attaching doctrines and principles to Christ. It's not the atonement, but the atonement of Jesus Christ uh, is all in an effort to better obey this commandment that we keep the name of the Lord sacred. We connect it to his person, to his presence, and to his power. And so, of course, uh, using the name of God in our language flippantly is disconnecting it. But I was thinking about other ways that I might be tempted to disconnect the Lord from his gospel uh, or the Lord from his his uh, teachings. And uh, that's what brought me to President Nelson. So if I'm looking at a way to increase my relationship with the Lord, I think it's understanding that he is connected uh, to all things. And if I can see that connection and call it out in what I say and what I teach and in how I study, uh, then that connection becomes more clear to me and to others that I might teach. Now, this is just me musing a little bit, but I also wonder if it's in the opposite direction as well, is that we remember to give him credit for things too. Mm. Don't forget to, don't misuse that we're forgetting what he's done. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, and for our last thought today actually comes from the last commandment listed and it's in verse 17 do not covet your neighbor's house do not covet your neighbor's wife his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor um and of course this is one that always i feel like even as a young person i realized like oh yeah okay i shouldn't want what they have i need to you know stay focused on what i do have and so it's always been one that has resonated with me i think um and been meaningful really i think that's an important piece of that is not going after everything that everyone else has um but i learned something new with this study and again this comes from some footnotes in my scriptures and um i really liked what it brought up it says, this commandment strikes at the root of sin, an individual's thought life. Stealing and adultery may be the most obvious outward manifestations of indulging discontentment, but the sinful actions begin as sinful longings of the heart for the very things that are beyond reach because they belong to someone else. Coveting robs God of praise and gratitude and interferes with the personal relationships. The word translated covet has a wide range of connotations, like desire to take pleasure in or delight in, not all of which are sinful. The question to identify is the object of one's desire. Now, there's a lot of great stuff in there, but just going back to the beginning of thinking of this as what is going on inside our head, our, an individual thought life. And, you know, over the past few years, I've really been maybe even studying my thoughts and how that happens, how how my behaviors are influenced by what's going on in my head. And honestly, it can be a little scary when you actually take a look into your brain and realize what's all the craziness that's happening in there. So I really love this, I guess, title or new name for it for me is that idea of what's 
what our thought life is, of what's going on inside our head, because ultimately what's happening inside our brain eventually, as this explains, manifests itself in our life. Well, and it makes it, it either allows space or disallows space for God to talk to us. We know from Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord speaks to our mind and our heart. If my thought life, my mental space is filled up with uh, coveting others or uh, worrying about my, my standing in social situations, if it's so busy with things like that, uh, maybe it's difficult for me to hear what the Lord might say, what thoughts he might put into my mind and, and how I might experience or hear him. Yeah, so if we're putting this into the specific question of how does obedience to this specific commandment of not coveting, how does that enhance our relationship with God? I'd say that's exactly it. Is It allows us when we are monitoring or carefully even just paying attention to what our thoughts are doing or creating inside of us, um, it can open up space and help us to communicate with God, for him to communicate with us, and help us to, I think, learn about ourselves and through that learn about God. Yeah. It was interesting to me as I looked at that just before we recorded, I, I noticed that that same word that's translated as covet in this verse was used similarly at the very beginning of Genesis uh, when it says that the tree was desirable, uh, that the tree of forbidden fruit was desirable to make one wise. So it's interesting that the temptation Satan levies against uh, Eve at the beginning is to entice her to look at something that she cannot have and to desire it. Well, after these commandments are listed, the account continues, and I think it's interesting, again, to notice the people and their, their relationship to God and God and his movement towards people. Uh, verse 18, all the people saw the thunderings, the lightnings, and the noise, the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood far off, which is part of the reason why it's going to take them 40 years to get into the promised land. Because when God speaks, instead of them drawing close to him, they remove themselves. And they say to Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. The Lord explains in verse 22, uh, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And so uh, there's a lot going on in this situation, and I don't want to over-label the Israelites for their action. But I think we do have a choice when commandments are posed to us, whether it's the Ten Commandments or things that we hear from General Conference. The question to us is, is this something that's going to cause me to withdraw or pull away from God, or is this an opportunity for me to increase my proximity, my relationship to him? And I think uh, in one sense, that's the whole purpose of commandments. Uh, they ha stand at the intersection between us and God. And, um, and so consider that as you study this week. Um, as you study with others, one idea to maybe connect with them uh, for seminary teachers that are rounding out the end of the school year right now, but even if you're not a seminary teacher, this applies. Uh, we're looking at the next couple of weeks and months, and, and it's um, April and May. It, we've been at this for seven or eight months. Teaching seminary gets really tiring. Students are tired. <laughs> They're looking forward to uh, spring break and summer. And, and so there's an increased need at the end of a school year 
to have some variety in our classes. And a, a study like this is a great place for variety. Uh, the simple way to add variety to a class is just to ask yourself an easy question. What is a simple way I could vary something we do all the time? We don't need a big elaborate exercise in order to add variety to the class. We just need to make a small adjustment to something we do often. So for example, in my lessons, uh, when I teach, I'm a question and answer guy. I ask questions, students respond. I like the discussion, but I do that a lot and students get tired of it. And so if I'm asking myself the question with these lessons, what's a different way? How could I adjust our study of the Ten Commandments? Um, I could say, okay, instead of me asking them questions, I'm going to write questions on a piece of paper and give it to a group and have them work through those questions. I could ask students to come up with questions. Uh, I could swap roles with them. You're the teacher for the day. Here's the Ten Commandments. I want you to come up with a question for each commandment that you could ask the class. Um, I could ask students to become an expert on a specific commandment and give a sermon on that commandment. You are the fourth commandment. I want you to teach a general conference talk in two minutes on that commandment. And on and on and on. Lots of different simple ways to vary what we're experiencing. And so if you're studying with others and you're feeling like class is just kind of lagging a bit, whether it's Sunday school or, or primary or seminary, consider how you might make a small adjustment to something you do often and see if that might add a little bit of energy to your students' experience. And I thought your tip was going to be to add kinetic sand there to, you the, <laughs> to your teaching. <laughs> also another option. Just had to put it out there. Hey, it worked for us in this episode. <laughs> it works for us. Um, thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope that you enjoy your study. And we will be back next week. 